Keep on riding with us as we continue to broadcast the balance and defend the discourse from these Hip Hop Weekly studios. Once again, I'm your host, Ramses Ja. He is Ramses Ja. I am Q Ward. And today, if you don't know, we are still kind of recapping the many ways in which Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. has been whitewashed and his legacy has been co-opted to support all kinds of crazy narratives and and uh, crazy campaigns and pieces of legislature and so forth a uh, piece of legislation i mean to say um that uh dr king would not stand for and so it's up to us and people like us to continue to cement in the minds of you our listeners uh exactly what dr king stood for and to ensure that those folks really do believe that dr king was a good man know a little bit more about him and so today's show of course is dedicated to um, making sure that that is established. But before we continue, let's discuss BABA, Becoming a Better Ally, BABA. And today's BABA is sponsored by Friends of the Movement. You can sign up for the free voter wallet from FOTMglobal.com to support black businesses and allied businesses, as well as make an impact with your spending. Again, that's FOTMglobal.com. And for today's BABA, we want you to consider donating to thekingcenter.org. So I'll share a bit about the King Center. Established in 1968, by Mrs. Coretta Scott King, the Martin Luther King Jr. Center for Nonviolent Social Change, aka the King Center, has been a global destination, resource center, and community institution for over a quarter century. The King Center is a 501c3, and uh, nearly a million people each year make the pilgrimage to the National Historic Site to learn, be inspired, and pay their respects to Dr. King's legacy. Um, again, we'd like you to make a donation. So. You can do so at civilrightsmuseum.org um, and you can make a donation at thekingcenter.org. Uh, and the civilrightsmuseum.org is uh, the National Civil Rights Museum. It's located in Memphis, Tennessee. It's headed up by Dr. Russ Wigington. And that kind of encapsulates the last few moments of Dr. King's life uh, because the museum is on the grounds of the Lorraine Motel where Dr. King was assassinated. And so they discuss really what he stood for, uh, the direction in which he was moving. And they've turned that museum building and a building across the street and some other, uh, the campus has expanded since uh, first being initiated. But um, there's a lot to learn about Dr. King's legacy and really the whole uh, movement for um, social justice and civil rights. And again, you can check them out at civilrightsmuseum.org. And don't forget about the King Center, which is thekingcenter.org. So I, I think that in order to honor the legacy of Dr. King, I wanted to take some time to review some of the things that MLK said and just kind of let them diffuse into the community so that folks know that this wasn't a just a nonviolent, peaceful protester. This was a man who was a great thinker and someone that was able to touch on many things that still affect the black community today. But unfortunately, he was assassinated before he got to the point where he was able to really get that off and show folks that a lot of the ideas that we're dealing with right now are not new. In fact, some of them were very much pronounced during the time of Dr. King, some even reflected in some of his words. And so, again, I thought that was important because a lot of times folks will say to, you know, people on the streets that are protesting or people that, you know, have a very charged way of describing their reality. 
black folks. On the other side, you know, whatever their opposition is, a lot of times folks like to point to Dr. King and say, well, Dr. King was nonviolent and therefore, yeah. you know. <clears throat> I think they mistake that for him being a pacifist. Exactly. Exactly. And again, I thought that it was necessary for us to have this conversation. Uh, one of the things that has been touted more recently is his statement that a riot is the language of the unheard. Um, and I think that that's a profound statement. And a lot of folks don't know this, but some of the protests that Dr. King took part in um, or organized, they had some folks in there that would act up. And when those folks acted up, you know, uh, that gave the authorities and police and so forth license to get in there and use the water hoses and the dogs and, and all that sort of stuff. If you see this old footage, I don't want you to think that a water hose is going up against a water hose like that is easy. You know, it's like, oh, he got sprayed with some water. He's wet. He's fine. No, those things hurt. Anyway. Law enforcement also didn't always wait for sure those yeah. people to act up and give them license. They yeah. they showed up a lot of times. Ready to. Ready for that. Yeah. And, uh, and we've and seen would, that. And would create that excuse even if it didn't exist. And we've seen that um, in more recent uh, protests, too. And I could cite examples, but, you know, Google's there if you want to um, look at that. But um, in the past, there were some people that would act up and folks don't that that part hasn't translated. I think a lot of people have this idea that everything Dr. King took part of was super peaceful. Everybody showed up, they prayed and then they went home. But this statement that he made that a riot is the language of the unheard is profound because not only does it reflect that during his time there were riots and there was, you know, um, people that were lashing out in a physical manner uh, to challenge authority, the status quo, et cetera. Um, but it also reflects th the hopelessness that a lot of people experience. You have to think that before people take to the streets, they've already had to live through whatever it is that they've lived through. And it's likely that they've also gone through all of the proper channels to try to suggest some sort of alternative or, you know, air out their grievances or get someone to remedy a, an issue that they're dealing with. And then after living through it and after going through the proper channels, you know, these things sometimes can take years. Oftentimes they do. Then they take to the streets to protest, to show that there are many of us and we are going to protest and we're going to stand in solidarity and we're going to challenge. We're going to show that we are all committed to this cause. And then if that happens and it happens again and again and again and there's no progress, there's no forward you know, progression, um, absolutely there can be a lot of hopelessness in a group like that. You know, when you get out there and you listen to someone talking Someone, uh, again, you know, in the, in the more recent protest that I've taken part in, I've heard, of course, mothers that had to bury their children uh, at, you know, the hands of uh, in, injustice one way or another. And that sadness and that, that hopelessness is something that permeates, it translates to the crowd because we're all human beings. We, ha we have the capacity, if we're healthy mentally, to empathize with each other. This is what kind of helps us survive as a species. And so that hopelessness and that feeling that no one's listening is something that is not new. I think that that statement by Dr. King that, you know, a riot is the language of the unheard. I think it, it really has manifested itself in my life. And I've seen examples of that in my immediate surroundings where 
you know, I think that it's just worth mentioning. So that's one thing that Dr. King said that doesn't get brought up enough, even though it's been brought up recently, it doesn't get brought up enough because again, people, I think there's this idea that all black people need to be like Dr. King and then all their problems will go away, you know? And obviously if you're listening to my voice, maybe this is not a sentiment that, you, you know, maybe you're not that short-sighted, but there may be people in your, in your life, in your immediate family that think that black people's problems are just their own problems. And admittedly, some problems are black folks to deal with. Stop you know? acting black, Ramses, and you'll be fine. Do you understand? And then the example, unfortunately, is that if you act like Dr. King or some black person that reflects their worldview, that um, somehow things will be better for you. And it's just, it's very unfair and very short-sighted. And so again, this conversation is necessary. Another such statement, and I want to get your thoughts on this, Q. However difficult it is to hear, however shocking it is to hear, we've got to face the fact that America is a racist country. That was said by Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. What do you think? I think that when you use Martin Luther King Jr. as the reference or even the vehicle for that statement, as long as I can look at that statement as having been made 50 years ago as a person, as a member of the group that benefits most from racism, it's always easier to look at it as a really, really difficult blemish on our country's beautiful on our country's otherwise beautiful resume. Right. But as a blemish from yesteryear. Back then. They're very, I won't say very, people tend to be more comfortable and can reconcile easier when they speak about racism as something that used to be a problem in America. Right. Right. Racism from the past, sure. Contemporary, now you're, you're pushing it. You might even be tripping it might even be your imagination, right? If you just, and then there's a laundry list of things that they say, comply, act right, be respectful, be polite, don't do anything wrong, you'll be fine. And our country's lack of ability to properly reconcile, straightforwardly apologize, and straightforwardly try to correct its original sin is why it has no chance of going away at any point. Yeah. If you think about apartheid in South Africa, South Africa had to say, man, we was tripping. Yeah. And of course, not in those words. Right. But South Africa had to face itself and say, these are all the things that we did wrong to you, to you, to you. And then South Africa as a country could self heal and self repair. Right. But they couldn't deny what was going on and think that there was going to be any progress made. Our biggest issue is that denying the original sin and even those that accept it pretending like it's something that happened to our great grandparents and not something that still happens to our children watch this so i was reading an article the other day about a woman named ruby bridges ruby bridges was the little girl that had to be escorted to school by the National Guard, the National Guard of the Secret Service. When they segregated her school? Desegregated. Or desegregated school. her exactly. school, yes. Now, Ruby Bridges 
is alive and well. Still breathing air on this planet. She's in her 70s. No, that had to be 100 years ago, right? No. She is alive and well. So, uh, again, to your point that, you know, America, you know, Dr. King says it is a racist country. Um, and, you know, we're still dealing with that. Again, I think that the fact that there are people like Ruby Bridges, I mentioned Dr. Camilla Westenberg earlier. She came on the show before and she told a story. I'll never forget it. I, I listened in real time on the air as she told me this story. She said that when she was a little girl, she could not drink from water fountains. She could not use the bathroom, certain restaurants she could not go into. Um, and it was normal. She said she could not try on hats, God forbid, shoes to see if they fit. Mm. And, the, and the kicker, she's still alive. I love her with all my heart. Talk to her on the phone two or three times a week. Yeah, I mean, it, it's, it gets personal. Yeah, and this is what she said. This, and this is something that's perhaps the most personal thing of all. She said um, when her and her family would go on road trips, they had to carry like a, like a bucket with them in the car so that if they had to use the bathroom, mm. they would have some degree of dignity uh, because they were not allowed to use bathrooms like that. And that's just the way it was. And so um, there are people alive right now that have experienced that. So for people to, and then for people to look back and say it was a racist country. So even if you wanted to say Ruby Bridges, Dr. Westenberg, those folks that are in their 70s, that it's from a different time, nowadays and in in this year you know all you know that's a thing of the past you know we're very much dealing with it obviously um this year we've had to deal with multiple murders shootings from the police um you know we've had to come to terms with again come to terms with the the statistics because numbers don't lie you know, no matter how many how many people try to fudge the numbers on Fox News or tell a different story with the numbers, if you take things, you know, for what they are and you do your own research and just look at them and draw your own conclusions, you end up with facts. Facts that black people are three times as likely to be incarcerated for drug offenses as white folks. Um, white folks, as a percentage, are use drugs at a higher rate across the board with the exception of crack cocaine and that is marginal so overwhelmingly white folks as a percentage obviously as a number because they're more of the population but as a percentage even use drugs more frequently so how is it the case that black people end up incarcerated at three times the rate and then we'll take it a step further the sentences given to black people are so much heavier so much more frequently um and that's just drugs the war on drugs and everything the, else is the, the really crazy part about the data is that this information comes from our government yeah they, they, they we're not creating this we're not going around talking to our friends and polling for our own statistics u.s department of justice will give you these numbers yeah google is free and will say out loud <laughs> that it's disproportionate they have Except to. it doesn't change. Right. And now we're getting to the point that we're making with this statement that this is a racist country. There are systemic, you know, I know that that's a trigger word for a lot of folks that don't really sympathize um, with black folks' plight. 
you know, uh, a lot of, and sometimes black folks don't even know, you know, it's, it's very and, easy to get and, some blinders And then on. that's the part that has begun to really, really poke at my spirit. Sure. I, I had the, I had the, the opportunity to take you to Bibb County, Macon, Georgia, USA, yes, where sir. Reverend Estella Seacrest, mm. my mother was born and raised. Mm-hmm. Georgia and we got to see this because people think Georgia is Atlanta. <laughs> there's <not>. Atlanta. <laughs> yeah. And then there's a massive state that's nothing like Atlanta. Atlanta's cracking. My mother's from Macon. She's not from Atlanta. Yeah. And the Southern experience for someone born in the 1940s. And then you think about my grandmother. It's a much different experience than ours. Sure. And, and, and it was much more on its face, flagrant, violent blatant racism through our lifetime it's been a bit more passive the 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 idea of racism has been a bit more under the table instead of slapping you in your face now in recent times it's gotten horrible and the statistics will bear this out during this last few years for very very obvious reasons hate crimes and overt racism have escalated to their highest numbers since the 90s yeah but, you know, you speak about our people not seeing it and being so disconnected from it. That's a lot. You know, you talk about voting in the election and just all the things that we're dealing with. Voter suppression. Right. Because my mother's 18 pre-1965. So the experience of people that look like us just deciding they're going to have something to do with deciding who's going to run this country was a lot different when she became of age to vote than it was for me. Right. Um. So a lot of these things, no matter how hard they try to deny, are making themselves apparent in front of everyone. And people either have to choose to see it or choose not to. Or decide not to, rather. They see it. Willful. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, if you're just tuning in uh, to Civic Cypher, once again, I'm your host, Ramses Ja. My name is Q Ward. Yes, indeed. And today's show, we're talking about Dr. Martin Luther King. Because we feel like, or I, I certainly felt like, he's largely misrepresented. And not that that's bad, it's just there's more depth. He's, he's, yeah. not, he's not misrepresented, he's underrepresented. underrepresented. That's yeah. the right yeah, word. Yeah, definitely. Because there's a lot more to him than just, you know, we shall overcome. Uh, Dr. King was a, was a thinker, uh, a brilliant man, of course. Um, but Dr. King, a lot of folks look at him like he was a patriot. And if all black folks do what dr king did everything will be fine and you know everybody's going to get along in harmony but dr king was very critical of this country and the direction that it was going in and i think that it was his being critical that ultimately led to a lot of the changes but then led to his ultimate assassination you know um obviously if you play the middle you know you're not going to upset anyone but um you know toward the end of his life again he got a little bit more he doubled down on a couple things and you know started to take on new um initiatives that would really empower black communities a little bit further and uh the conspiracy theory theory start at that point you know a lot of black folks can kind of see it because that's just kind of the world for us but you know i don't want to get lost in that rabbit hole 
for now, the episode is to kind of revisit some of the things that he said so that we can add some depth to this to this man and so that folks can understand that a lot of what it is that black folks have been championing or campaigning in, in you know, this past year and in recent years, a lot of those things are nothing new. In fact, some of them are reflected in some of Dr. King's language. Um, one such statement is large segments of white society are more concerned with tranquility and the status quo than justice and humanity. And I personally, in it now in my life, because you know, Dr. King was dead and gone before I was even born. I still agree with that statement. You know, the status quo, as long as everything looks like it looks now, we're fine. We don't need to engage. What are they mad at? You know, that they had a black president, you know, all these things. And it's a mechanism that a lot of white folks and, and, and just people that maybe don't live around a lot of mixture, racial mixture, um, that kind of, you know, have put up their walls and determined that the world looks the way it looks and they wanted to keep looking that way. They can, they can insulate themselves from this and they can, um, uh, take the responsibility uh, out of their lap and try to place it back into the laps of other folks. And, you know, one thing that I know is that if there's something that needs to be done, you know, black folks, for the most part, will get it done. You know, we've seen that, you know. But, again, that challenge when it comes to systemic things and, and to trying to move the needle on a political, um, in a political arena or to take on huge systems that were built to oppress you. Um, that's a, a long-standing fight. And so, again, that statement, large segments of white society are more concerned with tranquility and the status quo than justice and humanity. Um, I think it still holds up. Well, that's going to do it for us here on Civic Cipher. Once again, I'm your host, Ramses Ja. He is Ramses Ja. I am Q Ward. Thank you guys for tuning in with us again for another uh Oh, man, another one of these very, very difficult journeys through uh, some very, very difficult truths. Yes, indeed. But, uh, you know, we're still here. We're still standing and we're still doing it for you. Uh, we appreciate you allowing us to have these conversations and let's keep it going. So tap in with us. Hit our website, uh, civiccypher.com and uh, follow us on all social media at Civic Cipher. Download this in any previous episodes. Subscribe, subscribe, share, subscribe, subscribe comment, subscribe. all that. Donate as well and um submit any questions or any topics that you want us to cover um we do like hearing from you and you know we like having a conversation not just us talking and you listening so participate if it makes sense and until next week y'all peace